Kia This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Wellington Access Radio, make your voice heard. Wellington Access Radio, 106.1 FM. I'm just making sure I can hear myself. I can, yes. Uh, 106.1 FM, this is Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air. Um, my name is Dan, I'm an alcoholic, and I'm your chairperson. So you can all say, hi Dan, if you like. Hey Dan. Hi Dan. <laughs> hi team. All right, well, what we'll do is we'll open the meeting, as we always do, with the serenity prayer. So if you'd like to all join me, that would be great. God. God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Fantastic. All right, now I'm just going to um, bring up the <coughs> the AA preamble now. So, just um, it was all a bit of a last minute rush to get in here this morning, and just putting in my password, which I thought I knew, and <laughs> I managed to log in just just a moment ago. And um, here we go. So what I'll do is I will, yeah, as I say, I will start with the AA preamble. And just before I do that, I'll just welcome the um, the the team in this morning, which is as Bill sees it, which is my home group, which is excellent. I'm really pleased to to be able to have my my home group in here. Um, I'll, I'll probably explain a little bit of what a home group is. A little bit later. Okay. So the AA preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is the desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Alright now, um, so we've got, got the As Bill Sees It group, which is my home group as I mentioned before. And what that group normally starts with is a reading from the big book of AA which is the book called Alcoholics Anonymous. So what I'll do is I will read that now, and um, then I'll, <clears throat> I'll pick a, um, a reading from the book as Bill sees it, and then we'll start the sharing. So here we go. This is Chapter 5, How It Works. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. There are such unfortunates. They are not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Their chances are less than average. There are those too who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. Our stories disclose, in a general way, what we used to be like, what happened and what we are like now. If you have decided 
you want what we have, and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. At some of these we balked. We thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we could not. <clears throat> With all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. Remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. But there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. Here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. 1. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. 2. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Made a decision, oh sorry, 3. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. 4. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. 5. Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. 6. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. 7. Humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. 8. Made a list of all persons we had harmed, and became willing to make amends to them all. 9. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Many of us exclaimed, What an order! I can't go through with it. Do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. Our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. A. That we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. And B. That probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. And C. That God could and would if he were sought. So that's a reading from the book Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, the beginning of chapter 5, How It Works, page 58, 59 and 60.
And so the the group As Bill Sees It, there's a book called As Bill Sees It, and the and the group is called is named after the book. And what we normally do is pick a reading from that book and use that as the theme for the meeting. And afterwards, we go around and share about what the reading is. So what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a, a, a passage from this book called As Bill Sees It, which is written by Bill W., one of AA's founders. And the, the reading I'm going to read today is page 242, and it's called Let Go Absolutely. The first reading is, After failure on my part to dry up any drunks, Dr. Silkworth reminded me of Professor William James's observation that truly transforming spiritual experiences are nearly always founded on calamity and collapse. Stop preaching at them, Dr. Silkworth said, and give them the hard medical facts first. This may soften them up at depth so that they will be willing to do anything to get well. Then they may accept those spiritual ideas of yours and even a higher power. That was from AA Comes of Age, page 13. In the next reading, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. And there we go, that was from Alcoholics Anonymous, page 58, which is part of the reading I just read out. So there you go. <laughs> All right, well, let's, um, let's go around and uh, start the sharing now. So, Susie, would you like to share? Thanks, Dan. Um, just checking how far away it is. The, that's, that's good. Okay. Um, kia ora, everyone. My name's Susie, and I'm an alcoholic. Ah, uh, Yeah, thanks. Um, thanks for reading, Dan, and um, starting us off. Uh, I'm an incredibly grateful alcoholic. Um, not a bit nervous, but it's a bit... You know, um, this is only the second time I've been in, in a radio room. Um, one would have thought that after the AA zone meetings I've been attending where you sort of talk at a screen, it would be a bit easier. But um, one of the things I do like about in-person meetings is uh, being in a room of people who are like me. And so probably what I'm going to do is... Um, just share a little bit of my story, um, the readings and stuff, talk about God. Um, I was very clear that when I first came to recovery, I didn't want someone giving me their idea of God. And so um, I was very grateful that there was truly an atheist, you know, a practicing atheist in the early meetings that I went to. And so that talked to me and showed me that n this wasn't a trick to get me to believe in God and then to be part of some some cult or church or anything. And um, so, yeah, I am very grateful that over time I have come to understand that the quiet voice that talks to me softly, that's inside of me, is, is what I call my higher power or God, and that's uh, sort of like a buddy, and it has no gender, and just is always there and has my back. So, yeah, a little bit about my story. I have, I used to be one of the young ones. I started my journey when I was 24, and I 
will be 30 years in June um, since I started my recovery journey. I've been sober in AA for 22 and a half years and um, am very grateful. My life today looks very different from what it looked like when I first started. So my family life, I didn't um, grow up around any alcoholics that were screamingly obvious to me. My parents had a drink on a Saturday and a Sunday at five o'clock and we got chippies and um, so it was a bit of a ritual and then when I got a little bit older I was allowed a shandy and I think they thought that was about teaching um, us how to drink normally and um, but unfortunately the way I was wired means that um, you know what we talk about in AA is that we have a mental obsession and a physical allergy and I remember my first drink uh, it was a shandy and I remember where I was and I was probably six or seven and I can't remember the first time I had lemonade I can't remember the first time I tried a sports drink but I do remember the first time I had a shandy and and I just felt good would be how I'd put it um and I had I'd felt good up until the age of seven when my grandmother died unexpectedly and she had been the person who was my main buddy she was the one who would look after me and do special things for me and accepted me. I have a sister who has chronic epilepsy and so she would have multiple seizures on a daily basis and so we had a fairly fear-filled house and um, and I looked, you know, like my sister would have a seizure in the morning and she then didn't have to go to school. And so I spent a lot of time thinking about the things that weren't fair in life, that I had a strong sense, and still do, a strong sense of fairness and what is okay and what is not okay. And as a, you know, five or six-year-old, it didn't seem okay that she got to have the day off school and I had to go to work. I thought I um, hated her. But actually what I realised later was that I was probably angry at the situation. And um, back in the 70s, there wasn't a scope to discuss any of that. The, so, so I'm sort of sitting in a, in a world, in a family where I feel on the outer and that things aren't fair. The other thing was that I was a tomboy and there was somebody who lived down the road who shared the same birthday as I did and she had curly blonde hair and she was pretty in the traditional sense of the world and I didn't understand it but what I realised in hindsight I, I mean she was my first resentment I hated her because I could sense that she could somehow access a power to get on in life um, through twitching her hair and um, I knew I didn't have access to that power. I was a tomboy, I was a sporty girl, and um, 
And I resented her and I resented the way the world revolved around pretty girls like mm. her and that I didn't fit. So that fed the fact that I was wrong. So I've got two things sitting in the world that set me up um, mentally and that was that I was wrong and life wasn't, it, it wasn't fair. And so, and then my nana died and she left me, so heaven forbid, don't attach to people because they'll disappear. So when I started, um, I, I also, I didn't know how to be pe- around people. I didn't like being around myself, but I didn't know how to be around people. And I played a lot of sports and I'd go away to competitions. And when I wasn't playing, I didn't know what to do and I didn't know how to talk to people. So I would get a book and read and nothing tells people to go away more than someone with their nose in their book. And I think, so that again sums up for me really another, I the skills that I tried to develop to try to manage being in the world created more of the stuff that I was trying to deal with. So, you know, sticking my nose in a book created isolation and people didn't know how to come and talk to me. So therefore I felt alone, I felt lonely and unloved and all of those things. So when I hit the teenage years and was left with um, having to socialise, I had already linked that alcohol aided being around people. And so I started drinking quite heavily and um, it enabled me to not care. I, I started drinking in the August and... After my school C exams in the November, I went away with some friends. I drank before we got in the car because I didn't know how to be there. I wasn't driving. Um, and then I had my first blackout that night and I loved it, absolutely loved it. For a little while, I had some peace and some quiet and that my head shut up and that's been one of the big things about coming to AA is discovering that I have this head, this, I talked about the quiet voice inside of me, which is my higher power, and then I've got a screamer who's like a seven-year-old who's just throwing a tante and is just talks at me all the time and is critical and negative. And um, what I learned sitting in AA rooms was that that was, that was my disease and um, that was the thing that once I had put down alcohol, that the thing that I use AA for is to manage my uh, mental well-being and my head. And, and um, so, yeah, I had this screaming critic that um, just talked at me from the time I was seven and never said anything nice, always put me down. And I was, you know, truly just awful to myself. I don't think I was particularly that awful to other people. I was too busy being awful to myself. And just trying to survive. And um, so, yeah, so that was that all started when I was 15. Uh, failed first year at university because of drinking, came back, had another crack, and then I went overseas at the age of 23. And... Um, took myself with me and um, there I was in the UK doing the same stuff with different people 
probably quite well connected but felt socially isolated and used alcohol in order to try and reach across that chasm that seemed to be between me and, and other people. Um, and then, of course, I was looking for relationships because, you know, everyone knows if you get into a relationship, you won't be lonely, right? You know? Uh, and that they're going to fix everything. And I'd go for guys that had massive egos because I had low self-esteem and, and I thought that that would give us sort of a mid-road somehow. And, of course, that failed. But when I was in the UK, I met someone who was my age. We were 24 and he was two months sober. Sorry, two years sober. And that was my introduction to the 12-step programs. It was a pretty appalling relationship. Um, I wouldn't... We used to... um, pride ourselves on our witty repartee, which actually was just slagging each other off. And I remember our first Valentine's Day together, people were horrified, the couple we went out with, you could tell they were horrified by what we were doing, and I thought it was funny because I had no idea about how to be nice to myself and how to be around someone who would be nice to me. Um, His auntie, who his aunt and uncle were uh, 20 years sober at the time in Ireland um, and they asked if I'd thought about going to al which is the sister fellowship of AA and I hadn't. Um, I don't think either of us really thought we'd last so we didn't do anything that would help us to last. Um, but that will be 30 years ago in June and um, I'm really grateful... I also, around about that time, gave up pot because um, he asked me to, and yeah, and that was that was interestingly difficult, surprisingly difficult, and so I drank more, and then after a while he asked me to not drink quite so much. His sponsor didn't like me very much, which I thought was a bit rude. Um, so yeah, that gave us... Um, so I started working the steps, and as as was read out, the steps in Al-Anon are pretty much the same, except it's about being powerless over other people's alcoholism, and that you can't, you didn't cause it, you can't cure it, you can't control it. And so God did for me what I couldn't do for myself, which is he that relationship broke up, um, and. About 18 months later, I came back to New Zealand and back to Wellington, my hometown. And in recovery there, there were quite a few lesbians. And they, I liked them, I enjoyed hanging out with them. And um, and then I also, I got unwell, so I was unable to work. So all the things mm. that I had got myself worth through sports, I couldn't play sports anymore, I couldn't work anymore, couldn't hold a telephone, I holding a book was difficult. And so everything that I used to prop myself up was stripped away. And I'd gone to NA, but um, they wanted me to drink, uh, stop drinking, so that seemed a little bit excessive, so I didn't go back there. And when I was really struggling to cope with waking up every day going, now what do I do? You know, I had no structure, I had no life. I, I could go days without seeing people. And um, someone said, why don't you check out AA? And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm an addict, but I'm not an alcoholic, you know, because I tried to not use drugs and failed. 
I'd never tried to not drink, and in not drinking, um, but something, I, I was desperate, and so I went along to an AA meeting and was absolutely horrified by how much I identified. Um, I was a bit embarrassed, you know, surely I should have picked this up before, but it hadn't been my time, you know, and I believe there's a time and a sweet spot when I got to to go along. So I jumped in, um, first two years were quite painful because my head, it's kind of like, it's the death roll of the disease, you know, and it, it almost gets worse before it gets better because I was doing the steps and I was trying to tackle my thinking and learning more about, I knew how other people drank, but I needed to learn about how other alcoholics drank and then over time I built up my story to find out how I drank and got comfortable that the way that I drank was alcoholic. Um, yeah, and then from there it, it has has really grown, grown, and I've grown up. I definitely think of recovery as being about a growing up process. I stopped growing from the time I was probably seven and um, so I had to learn how to be in life and I'm very grateful for the people that have been in meetings that um, I've seen go through suicides of part, you know partners and children and, and, and ill health and dying and all that kind of stuff. So I'm incredibly grateful for the people that have sat in meetings and talked to me about how they do the steps. When it came time for relationships, I um, had been around a while and I went back through the steps again with a focus on relationships and I realised that the biggest resentments I had were with myself. And so I went through and I did a full step process around all of my thinking about myself. And that really cleared all the clutter of um, the crap that I have been carrying for so long. And, um, yeah, I did a step six and seven where you hand that stuff over to, to God and wrote a list of all the things I was looking for in a relationship and I found that list recently and um, there were about 40 things in there and all bar one I have in my relationship, which I've had now for 12 years. So, um, yeah, I had to come out, come out as a lesbian through that process. And, you know, um, some of the writing, I often, when people are looking at the big book and uh, early literature, it is very gendered and um, it does require translation. But I talk about that as being like reading Shakespeare. You know, you need someone to help you work out what Shakespeare was actually saying and that's what it's been like. Um, so that's where the sponsorship comes in, that's having that buddy and learning how to be intimate and trusting and share the secrets because it's the secrets that we have that are the things that cause me difficulties. So 30 years old, my life looks nothing like I thought it would. Um, I believe in kindness and gentleness, not harshness. Um, I hear some people telling their heads to bugger off and, you know, to 
be, you know, being nasty to themselves and that's, I've never managed to change myself from a place of hate. I've had to change myself from a place of kindness and being loving and compassion. And so that's the kind of God that I've accessed is a loving, kind, gentle buddy who's with me and if I'm being a little bit mean well, to myself will help me be a little bit nicer to myself and to others. So um, I, you know, that thing of if I won lotto or if I found out I had a terminal disease, I would not change anything. And that for me is a pretty damn good place to, to live. And I do put that down to the fellowship. And the changes are incremental. Things do get better from the start, even though other things get a little bit harder. Um, but so, so yeah, if there is anyone out there who's sort of kind of wondering if it's for me, is that you can actually you have this weird mix of kind of needing to do what other people do, but you can find a way of doing it your own way and in a way and in a time that works for you. And there's no right or wrong way. Um, there's just turning up and having it, giving it a crack. So, yeah, I'm very grateful for this opportunity it's a small meeting which is why I've talked a little bit longer and um, yeah hopefully what I've said is of service and uh, <coughs> don't let the God but put it put you off because you can write your own ideas so thanks guys thanks Susie this is uh, Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM and you're listening to Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air live and we've got the As Bill Sees It group which is um, yeah my home group which is fantastic. And so, um, as Susie mentioned, if you're thinking if this is for you, then you might want to get in contact with AA. So the best way to do that, I would say, would be to go into the website, which is aa.org.nz. On that website, there is so much information about AA and the meetings, and there's a phone number on there as well, which you can ring and talk to a sober alcoholic who's been around for a while, and we'll be able to answer some of your questions. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say get onto that website and click on AA meetings. And there are a number of different types of meetings. There's open and closed meetings, which are obviously in person and in locations around New Zealand. For example, as Bill sees it, is in uh, 61 Abel Smith Street, which is uh, the Toy Ponaki Art Centre. And um, so it's at 5.30 on a Wednesday, for example, in Wellington. So there's open and closed meetings that you can go to in person. There are online meetings, which, uh, again, uh, Susie mentioned about uh, doing on Zoom, and a number of those around the country. And there's also on-air meetings, which are these meetings. Now, there's pre-recorded ones, or there's recordings of meetings that happened live. And there's a number of those, so this um, they go back to 2019, 2018, and there's even one there from 2017. So there's a number of old meetings on that website which you can uh, download and listen to, which is fantastic. So it's almost like you've got no excuse to get to a meeting really, isn't it? <laughs> All right, well, let's um, let's carry on with the sharing now. So, so would you like to share? Um, hi everybody, I'm Sue. I'm an alcoholic. Sue. Seems to be the two Sues, a Susie and a Sue. I used to be called Susie at school, but uh, I changed my name to Sue. I kind of sometimes wish I kept Susie, but anyway, um, yeah, I'm. Esbel sees it as my home group. Um, 
I made ASBEL sees it my home group because I felt very connected to the group. Um, I I had tried another home group and bailed it because I just didn't feel. I don't know. I I felt I I didn't have the same sort of connection or maybe. Someone had said something to me and I didn't like it and then I <laughs> I thought I'll stuff this, I wouldn't go to another home group, but you know, that that I'm a little bit like that. If someone will say something I, I don't like it, I'll I'll just bail and Yeah, and then I felt quite bad about leaving the other home group. <laughs> but um, you know, as time goes on I I'm not it's cool because that you can do that. You, you you know you can leave home groups and don't beat yourself up about it. You just find something that that suits you. And I find this one does suit me. Um, I've been sober now for about it was November um, no October two thousand and nineteen. So nearly about sixteen or seventeen months now. But I have tried. It's taken me nine years to get to where I am now. Um, I, I've, yeah, I, I've have always, you know, I, I, I'm not like like my. I have similar similarities to Susie when her sharing, but I like I, I've never kind of as growing up. I never sort of thought that I had an issue with alcohol. Like, I, I was trying to think of my first time. Drinking, I can't really, but I this one particular time does stick to me when I was drinking tequila, and it was I'm from Hamilton, and the Renfrewly Shield was happening, and I went with my my dad and I think some of my brothers, and I was just on the tequila and just absolutely loved it, and was really getting involved in the crowd and just having such a great time. Um, that's the only really time I can think of, you know, starting. I, I, I don't know. I probably got drunk. I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, so my drinking probably started when I was about, <clears throat> I don't know, 13 or something like that. Um, I'm not real. I don't think I'm from an alcoholic family. I know there's, there are alcoholic um uncles and uh, you know things like that like most families have some sort of there is a alcoholic in some family not, might not be um, like your parents or but there is somewhere along the line um, so I, I'm from quite a big family grew up in the Waikato five brothers um, and a sister I'm the youngest of seven um, Lot, there was always quite a lot of drinking around, but you know they played rugby, so there was it was, yeah that that was sort of the I don't know the culture. I, I grew up around alcohol and as in being in the culture, you know of it. It was acceptable to drink, so that's what we did. We just you know drinking was, and I I did like it, and I wasn't I could drink. No, I was no one sort of told me I that I should not drink, so I just did drink. Um, Right through all my twenties, um, you know, I've had uh, jobs. Um, I've travelled. Nothing bad. 
I can't say anything really bad has happened to me. I mean, I did have quite a bad car accident when I was 18, which was, um, alcohol was involved in that, um, which I think would have been really terrible because my oldest brother was killed in a car accident through alcohol when he was 25. And I just remember my how my mum was um, when they got the news that my brother had died in a car accident and so then they got the phone call when I was in Australia in a hospital bed after a car accident um, in there with two broken legs so that I mean gosh you know I still think of that would have been terrible and that that was an alcoholic you know that was alcoholic behavior I wouldn't have ended up in the car if I anyway it happened you know you can't beat yourself up about these things it happens um yeah, I just always drinking, never, you know, at parties, good times really, just great times. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I've got just, yeah, went through, travelled, been to tech, got a um, non-qualified chef, you know, I've done all the, the all the things, great. Um, when I sort of into my thirties. Um, I think my drinking w had become escalated to to quite you know bad, but still not really realizing that there was a problem there. Um, I, I've kind of lost a lot. I've, I've forgotten quite a lot of things that have happened in my life, and I think um, either from my car accident, I got quite a big, big I got quite a bash on my head. So I I, I think. It's not some of my brain cells, plus the drinking. So I kind of feel like part half of my time has been a big blackout because I really just can't remember a lot of stuff. But um, I, I can go from my thirties. Um, I'm I'm now in my late fifties. Um, I yeah I I married I I met uh, my husband and we have a. Um, we have a you know we have a successful clothing business, um, but uh, <clears throat> I don't know. We we were just there was always just drinking. We had quite a lot of staff, and so we would always so generous and just have parties and and all, everything. And I'd always make sure everyone was drinking, and um, you know it was the good time, good. Friendly, good boss, you know, like really laid back, great boss. But you know, I just drink, you know, get drunk with the staff, and oh, it was, you know, if I would change it all now, but um, <laughs> but anyway, um, so we yeah that we just just went on like that for quite a while, and then my husband's not an alcoholic, but you know, we we would both drink a lot. And um, I would just carry on drinking, and then the the, the stress, I suppose, of the business, um, whatever. I don't know. I was just drinking to excess, and even I would say to my friends, we'd go out, and I would question. I say, God, you know, I must be an alcoholic because I, I just I, I, my drinking. I just I, I would drink, be able to drink so much, and not not really do anything about it you just carry on and keep drinking and drinking and 
this went on for year, you know, a good 20 years. And um, I think a few times people have sort of said to me, you know, this, you, you sort of got to address your drinking. Anyway, I, I really, because I can't remember up to this, but then nine years ago I, I did went into AA. I, I just thought, God, yes, I do need to stop drinking. So I went to AA, went popped myself along to AA um, in Wellington, because I've been living in Wellington all my adult life. Um, and I think my first meeting I went to was um, in Newtown on a Wednesday evening. And was it there? I, I think it was, no, actually it was a Sunday. It would have been a Sunday one because I would have said night. It was the Come to Belief one at the Trades Hall. And I I just talked to it. I mean, I honestly, I just talked to it straight away. I, I had no problems with the God thing on the wall or anything. I just talked to it. And I I I realised, look, this, this feels great because I I did hear stories from other people about how they were drinking, and I thought, shit, I, I thought I was the only one drinking like this, but no, there were other people there. So I I you know I was happy. I, I went along and <clears throat> got involved. Um, did three months sober. Went to oh, heaps of meetings. I didn't really I didn't do the steps or anything like that, and I I didn't. Um, really take hang around after the meetings and talk to people I just bailed you know went to the meetings bailed didn't really do any work but I managed three months in the first that was nine years ago and then I don't know someone said something and that's me out drinking again um but yeah more full-on drinking um worse it was kind of it had I, I sometimes think that AA kind of in a way turned me into an alcoholic <laughs> because you, you you sort of learn about the drinking. So before I went into AA, I didn't think I really had a problem. But when you know I went into AA, I learned more that yes, I definitely have a problem. So I. Yeah, it it made me really aware of it. So when when I when I went back out drinking again, I I had always in the back of my mind that AA AA because it gets under your skin, you know, it does. It it's, it gets in there, and it, it I knew I, I knew that I I wasn't I shouldn't be doing this. But the more I thought about it too, the more I would want to drink more. So then I I can't I I I sort of this is when I'm losing time because I can't remember what happened. But I went I went back into AA. And I didn't last very long. This was about two years. I was only like two weeks or something. Went back in and then feeling, you, you kind of feel a little bit embarrassed. Seeing people and then you like, you don't, you know that you should be back in there, but you don't, I don't know. I, I felt, I felt really embarrassed from going back, but I did. I, I stuck to it but two weeks. So then I went out again because I, I don't know. I thought it was too easy just to drink. So then I went out drinking again, and this carried on. I did it four, three or four times up till, you know, 2019. I just went back. The last year I was drinking was three bottles of wine a day, starting to drink at 6.30 in the morning, um, driving, drinking while I was driving, um, Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, okay, right. I'll, I'll 
cut. I'll cut it short. Um, anyway, <laughs> what what what? I now I just went back to AA and I'm in. Um, I've been sober for eighteen months and I've um, yeah I do the steps and I pray. I'm getting God and um, it works. Just just if you you know do AA, just keep at it. It takes. It just takes time and don't be hard on yourself. But it does work. I mean, I did it. Anyway, I'll leave it there because I have to, have to go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yes. Sorry to have to cut you short there. You're on a really good roll. Yeah, this, yeah, this has been um, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air. It's been really cool to have um, you know, a much smaller home group than we normally have. And I said I'd talk about the home group. So my idea about the home group is that it's a group, it's a, it's a meeting that I go to every week. Um, regardless of which other meetings I go to, so we'll um, we'll end it there now. So um, if you want to join me with with this um, serenity prayer, that'd be great. So um, everyone in the studio can join in. <laughs> God, grant, grant me the serenity. serenity. Was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks, New Zealand On Air, for funding accessmedia.nz.